Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 177 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans and of course Trojan football recruiting. If you have any questions, we love to answer them on the podcast. Email us podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address podcast at uscfootball.com or you can call us. We've got a couple calls today, 206 888-6755. 888-6755. Call in the voicemail. We'll play it on the podcast and do our best to answer your question. We're going to talk uh, some team stuff in the first segment with Coach Harvey Hyde. We've got some questions from all you out there. And we're going to talk some recruiting with Gerard Martinez in the final segment of the show. And as I mentioned, Coach Harvey Hyde coming up in the first segment. Coming up right now, as a matter of fact. Coach, how are you doing? Any exotic locations this week or are you just at home? No, I'm back from uh, Catalina. I hope not for long, but <laughs> I had to come back and get my weight workouts in. You know, it's amazing. I go to Catalina, I can get all the walking and jogging in I need, but there's no weight room there. So uh, to stay muscle fit or muscle tone, I come back here for a couple of days and get some reps in and so on. And and uh, got my um, Phil Steele book, which is great. I love to read that book. I don't know how, they, how many people see that publication, but... It's a great publication. I like to catch up to date on what they think about the coming football season and and how they rate the different teams and so on. So I got my magazine. So that means I'll get back to the island as soon as I can, <laughs> get a lot of workouts in, do some reading and do some broadcasting on my other stations. I like. Well, you, you inspire me to work out more. Not that it's worked lately, Coach, but I, every time I hear you talking about working out, maybe we can get a uh... – you know, one of these workout machine things that you can see on infomercials, they can sponsor the show and put one out there in Catalina for you. So you can get your weights while you're out in Catalina as well. That's a heck of an idea. We'll put it in the garage, <laughs> and I can go up there in the garage and pump out a few sets. And, uh, you know, you got to take care of the, the body. You know, it's the same old saying, you're, you'll take your car to the car wash, and you'll get it serviced and so on. And sometimes you forget about yourself. And uh, I think your yourself should come first, and that's, that is the way that you operate and look at yourself and other people look at you. And uh, you hope to maintain that so that you can drive that other car for a long time. You know what I mean? I do, so, Coach. Well, now go gotta, I'm going to get my car washed now, too. I forgot. <laughs> get your You're... car washed, okay? <laughs> You're... So when people see you with those new suntan glasses, you know, those, those, those shades, I call them shades, those shades, you got on cool down there in Manhattan Beach driving around. <laughs> Ryan, you'll fit right in. I'll try. <laughs> I'll try, Coach. All right, so I have a to-do list now just from the beginning of the podcast. Everyone out there, get to, get to the weight room, get to the gym, and wash your car. I want to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. is a website or call them 1-800-888-7287. If you need tickets for anything going on in Southern California, concerts, sporting events, theater, whatever you're doing, you want to go to Dodgers game, you want to go to an Angels game, go to sctickets.com and check them out. And they've been nice enough to, to me and coach over the years. You know, I have uh, one of my friends who has a house on the Strand down there in Manhattan Beach, and he said this weekend he was down there 
sitting on his patio, and guess who drove by on his bike? Pete Carroll. Wow. Yeah, Pete Carroll was down. I guess he has a place down there on the Strand somewhere, and he went riding by on his bike. So he's getting ready for camp, as I think the NFL is going to get it together. So he's down to getting in his last sunlight days before he goes back to Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> cold, dark, wet, 300-day-a-year <laughs> rain Seattle. Yeah. I know. But that, yeah, they, they got some time off. If you follow Twitter at all, you can see uh, – a lot of the former USC players that I follow, they're tweeting different things. They're working out. They're doing whatever. But it's, it's very different than what it would be if, obviously, the NFL was not locked out right now. So it's kind of funny to see what all these different players are doing, trying to get ready. And there's a level of optimism out there, Coach. Maybe we will have an NFL season. Hopefully we will. I hope we do. I hope we do because there's so much uh, that goes into the NFL, not just the players and the owners, but the people that own restaurants, the people that are ushers and the vendors and the you know all these different things that are attached to the great game of football that i hate to see these people suffer and not have the the type of job they're used to having and so on and and the number of uh, you know people that depend on nfl football for a living that uh, obviously the owners want to get it on the players uh, want to get it on i think and uh, I think that they will, but uh, I'm concerned more or less about the people who are associated with the game, not the fans too. Fans love football, but the people that make their living as far as around the game of football, the sponsorships, the the people that have restaurants, the people that have gas stations, the people that serve uh, the vendors, you know, all of that. I'm concerned about that as far as for our economy. If you think about on a Sunday, how many people are actually working in stadiums and, and around stadiums and the parking revenues and things that these people generate, I mean, that won't be there. And that means that will hurt our economy even more. So I'm really concerned about that portion of it, too. Yeah, well, we're going to be optimistic. Hopefully we'll see some football there. And if not, college football is going to have to uh, carry us over. And we're excited for that, too, Coach. I mean, we're counting down to fall camp. So we got some football questions. Uh, I want to see if you can answer them for us. Uh, Lance was writing in. He says he really enjoys the podcast and he hopes you can answer our question. We'll do our best, Lance. Uh, he says, I'm wondering who are Coach Lane Kiffin's influences and can you describe his offensive philosophy? Are there any current coaches that you would compare him to that you think he may want to emulate? Is he a Bill Walsh guy or a North Turner or a Mike Shanahan type of guy? What do you think, Coach, about uh, Lane Kiffin's influences and his offensive philosophy? Well, I don't think he's any of those three that was mentioned. I, I really don't. I don't see any Bill Walsh in his offense much. You know, people might think it's there. Or Mike Shanahan or uh, who was the other one he mentioned? Uh, Norv Turner. Norv Turner. Maybe a little bit of Norv Turner there. I think I see a little bit of that. Uh, I think the most uh, that I see is the Norm Chow as far as him trying to run the Norm Chow philosophy of of offense. I think Norm taught him offense, not that he hadn't coached at other universities as a GA and so on and worked his way back up as a, uh, through the USC staff and so on, but he worked directly with Norm Chow, and I think he learned a lot from Norm Chow, and what I see him doing is a lot of Norm Chow's philosophies in different ways and a lot of it Norm Chow's stuff. I mean, uh, the bootleg and that stuff and and a lot of things that he runs, and a lot of teams run that, but he, Norm Chow ran that a lot, and so does Lane Kiffin. I see the formations that he runs. A lot of those are Norm Chow's formations. But as far as his definite philosophy himself on offense, 
I don't know how to describe it, and I'm not being negative when I say this, but I don't know, really know what to call his offense. It isn't a West Coast offense. It isn't a, you know, a power offense. It isn't a spread offense. To me, it's just a, a, a bunch of parts of a lot of different offenses that come together with great athletes and perform. And it all is centered around the quarterback and the ability of the athletes. Uh, I don't think there's any real series in the running game. Obviously, yeah, they have an eye, but they don't run a lot of plays out of the eye. They have a spread, one remaining back. They utilize their fullback mostly as a, uh, I would say, a receiver in many cases. You see them flanked out wide and so on, where most teams never use a fullback out there. They put a receiver out there. Uh, so uh, it, it is a different philosophy, and it is a Norm Chow philosophy, as far as the way I look at it. Now, a lot of people have their own opinion. So uh, I would say that it's not one offense. It looks like it's a, parts of a lot of offenses, but not real series of offenses, not real if this play doesn't go off the run, then this one's got to go, or blah, blah, blah. It, uh, you know, you, you see certain plays a couple weeks in a row, and then you'll never see him again for another couple of weeks. You'll see the draw once or twice, and you won't see the draw again. So it's not like you run the same things over and over and over as far as in the running game. The passing game uh, created, you know, I, I, I keep talking about this. I don't see many middle routes, crossing routes, comeback routes, curl routes, backs up the seams. I don't see a lot of those things. In his offense, deep routes, I don't see a lot of deep routes thrown except for the fade. So it's it's hard for me to tell you uh, what offense it basically is. But I certainly hope whatever uh, he's calling, he, he obviously knows what he's attempting to accomplish. And uh, he has to teach that to his athletes to perform. And I hope it's not too complicated where the athletes can absorb what exactly is out there and, and, uh, and execute it. So, uh, you know, I'd like to see the tight end more involved in the offense, which I don't see. So, you know, this is ex- this is just my opinions. But, again, I, I don't know exactly what offense it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems confusing. You know, the fact that he is a head coach, it's a little different. But, like, you've seen Norm Chow. I think Norm Chow's offense under, you know, when he was at BYU was a little different than what, what was under Pete Carroll. Uh, and then obviously a lot different than what we saw over at UCLA. I mean, it, it, it changed, and what was, you know, with the Tennessee Titans, it seems to change. I, I guess you'll get to get a little bit more of what Lane Kiffin's true philosophy is when you're the head coach, because there's no really other influence there. He's, you know, he's running the show as far as offense goes. Um, so you kind of get to see the true thing there, but with like Norm Chow, it, it was a little different. Uh, and it does seem, you know, it seems like there's a lot of influences, in Kiffin's life, I mean, probably every every offense, you know, since the '80s has probably been influenced in some way by Bill Walsh. Obviously, there's not everything's not the West Coast offense, but I think little elements of all that have been kind of put together. And by the time you get to a guy like Lane Kiffin, who's young and seen people like that before, it, there's probably a lot of different, uh, you know, pieces of different offenses that he's incorporated into what his philosophy is. That's that's what you usually do when you're a young coach. You you learn from the people you work with and. And you learn what you like and what you don't like and how you should teach it and so on. And you put together what you do. And, and I've always said this. Uh, when I was a head football coach and one of my assistants got a head coaching position, I'd sit down with him before he left and I'd tell him, say, now remember what got you there is what you do well. Don't change what you do. 
put together all of your great ideas and execute it and do it the way you want to do it. Because if you're successful, you share it with everyone. If you're not successful and you are fired for what you're attempting to do, at least you did it your way. So I think Lane Kiffin is doing it his way. And he takes the credit for all the success of it offensively, and he will also be criticized if it's not successful. And that's one thing you do as a head coach when you're a coordinator. When you're a coordinator, you just put more responsibility on your shoulders because if you have an offensive coordinator, then there's always someone you can throw the blame to. Yet as a head coach, you're in charge of all the offense and defensive calls no matter what. But uh, that, that is what goes with the job. And, and uh, if you are successful, you're a genius. And if it doesn't go successful, you're an idiot. And, uh, <laughs> there's no middle and, ground. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just not going to be – I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you the truth. You're an idiot. So everyone sits back and, you know, waits to see what happens. A lot of people called you idiots over the years, Coach. Well, I, that's some of the nicer things. <laughs> I mean, you can't. I mean, I've been called a lot of good things, and I've been called a genius at times. And and but that's your job. That's part of what you do, and you understand that when you are a head football coach. You understand that because that's the responsibility you take on. Everyone loves to be a coach. Everyone loves to second guess a coach. Everyone loves it. That's why we go to the games. That's why everyone goes to see. Who's going to win and the excitement of what's going to happen on Saturday and who does a great job and who plays well and, and all this and that. And then they talk about it going home in the car. And, and uh, the more beers they drink, the better they are as coaches. So, <laughs> so it, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the American game. It, it, it's just part of it. And as a head coach, you never take those things personally. You just know that everyone who paid their way in deserves to say whatever they want. All right, uh, let's go to Terry, and he wanted to know uh, about two players that have been doing you know, the voluntary workouts. Uh, they're often injured, Drew McAllister and uh, Devon Kennard back at his old defensive end position. And I'll, I'll jump in here first, Coach. And I uh, got to see both of those guys out. That The team had a break for Independence Day. Uh, they came back and they worked out Friday morning. They had a, a full team conditioning workout on Cromwell Field. And then they threw the ball afterwards. I was down there for the uh, the throwing session and got to see the defensive linemen do their position drills. And Devon Kennard was definitely out there. Uh, he looks good. Um, yeah, I don't think he's 100% yet, but he you know he, he looks like he's running around okay. So we got some actually some video of him we put up on uscfootball.com. I think that was on Saturday. You can see some Devon Kennard video in there. And uh, also with Drew McAllister, we just put up some video from their seven-on-seven uh, highlights, the seven-on-seven seven highlights from Friday morning. And you get to see Drew McAllister picked off a, uh, a Matt Barkley pass. He looked good in there. Actually, the video we'll be putting up a little bit later today. Um, there was the 11-on-11 11 highlights, the full-team highlights. He defended another pass as well. So he's definitely been very active out there. I fully expect him uh, to be in the mix as far as uh, early playing time and stuff in the secondary. I mean, there's going to be a lot of guys. There's a lot of depth in the secondary right now, so I think there's going to be some good battles there. Uh, I haven't got to see a whole lot of Kennard yet. I mean, I think we'll see more of that in fall camp, but I, I do expect both those guys, uh, even though they've had some, some injuries and stuff in the past, uh, to be out there playing. And Drew McAllister, especially a coach, I mean, just a guy that's a ball hawk. Uh, he made a couple of plays just on Friday morning, like I mentioned. I mean, you, you like having those kind of guys in the secondary, guys that have a a nose for the ball, and it's probably what this 
defensive backfield needs right now, giving up, you know, 400 or so yards of, of offense last year. I agree with you. I think McAllister not only is a great center fielder, he has a knack for going for the football. He's played uh, not a little, he has little time on the clock, yet he has as many interceptions as anybody that's played in the, in, in the secondary. I think he, you have to have one of those guys that aren't afraid to jump on the ball and go for the interception and make the big play. And he's that type of guy. Plus, he can, he can hit you. He's physically put together. I mean, he is a big kid. And I think that he should play a lot this year. And uh, I think he'll do a great job. He just has to stay healthy and not get hurt and so on and be in a great conditioning program this summer. And I think he'll have a great year. I really do. I think he's always been a great player. I've liked him since he came to USC. I've just liked him and watching him play. And he played as a younger player and made some great interceptions and so on, and that's one thing that you haven't seen the free safety do a lot at USC over the recent years. They should be making a lot of interceptions, and they haven't been doing that. Now, as far as Kennard's concerned, you've heard me talk about that for the last year, that he's a defensive end. I think he's a great athlete. Uh, I think he was thinking too much in the middle. I think he's a, I go back to the high school years, and I don't know if I've explained this to you, but when I'm a high school coach, I put my best athlete at either quarterback, if he's on offense, and on defense at middle linebacker. Okay, now he came out of Arizona as one of the number one defense events in the country. He wasn't playing middle linebacker, like Perfect, and these other kids, Glippo and all these kids that come out, they're linebackers. And when they moved him to middle linebacker, I think they took a lot of the aggressiveness out of him, and he, and he had to think a lot last year. His natural ability and position is defensive end. With him and Perry and Horton and all of these kids they got, I mean, these guys should jump off the football, explode off the football, and get to the quarterback. They really should, and I think Kennard is relieved. I, if I, I don't talk to him. But if you were to ask him, and Ryan, you're the one who gets the opportunities, you should ask him, how does it feel to be back at defensive end? And I bet he'd tell you, great. Because that's his position in the NFL. That's his position in college. That's been his position in high school. And I think that's his future. And I think that was a smart, smart move by USC's defensive staff to put him back to defensive end. So I think that's a smart move. I think Lippo's going to have a great year. I think he's ready to play. Uh, I think uh, that he. this is his fifth year. He's a fifth-year senior. I think he knows the defense. He feels confident. He'll be a leader. And, uh, and I hope with that front, the way it is, that they'll be able to dominate the defense. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the defense at USC and the things that I would do, and I'm just throwing this comment in. I, you didn't ask me or no one asked me. But I was thinking today when I was walking out there, how I would condition the defense as far as getting them ready to play the offenses they play. And my conditioning drill would be every day to run two offenses at the defense, the same defense, every single day for conditioning, which means you run a play, you run to the ball, you make the play, you come back, you line up, and the next team's already broken the huddle. On the line of scrimmage, running the ball. You run that play. Defense runs back. The next team is already on the line with the script play, running the football. Because you've got to get ready to play and have the confidence of playing against the hurry-up offenses that you're going to see. 
And I think the only way you condition for that is not running sprints or doing those things, is getting yourself ready from day one when fall camp starts to build your confidence as a football player that you can play with offenses who run that speeded up offense. And I was thinking about that, and I know that if I was coaching today, I don't, I don't care, it could be anywhere, that's the way I would condition my defense in a game-type situation where I'd have two offenses running plays against the defense continuously during a conditioning period or team period during the Wildcat and the speed-up offenses daily so those kids got the confidence and conditioning that they need to, to meet those teams when you see them. That'd be an interesting way to do it, Coach. And uh, I mean, it, it seems like you might be preparing for one team throughout camp, but I, I think if you if you can prepare for a team that runs that fast, it probably helps you preparing for just about anybody. You're right, and it doesn't make any difference. You play a team that doesn't do that, that's fine. Then you recover twice as fast. But you just can't all of a sudden in one week prepare to play a team like that. You've got to do it from day one, when camp starts, whatever date it is at SC. That's the way you start conditioning the defense with that philosophy that we're going to do this so that we, they don't have any advantages on us. Uh, we're going to be in condition the same way they run their offense, and we're ready for it. All right, Coach, we've got uh, one last question from uh, Coach G. We haven't heard from him for a little while. Uh, coach G sick. We need to, we need to fix Coach, uh, Coach G, Coach. He says the coaching the last three years has been very depressing. Uh, he's very concerned about the defense this season. If the defensive coordinator fails to adjust to the college game, it will be another waste of excellent talent. I do believe Coach Kiffin is capable, but they must use the strength of their personnel. For the first time in 25 years, I am not as fired up as usual. Hurting Coach G. Coach, can you uh, maybe cheer Coach G up a little bit here? I got it, G. First of all, G, you got to get yourself ready to play, son. You can't be sitting back and saying, I'm not ready, I'm not fired up, or feeling sorry for yourself. you got to get to camp, and you got to be ready to play. Remember, every year is a new year, and every year, you know, you've got to determine how that year is going to come by your attitude. you got to have attitude, and you got to get out there. You can't let yourself get down and worry about, you know, what the past was. you got to worry about the future. But uh, I certainly understand his concerns. I do. When, you, when you're a true winner, you're disappointed when you lose. And if you're not disappointed when you lose, then you're not a true winner. I always used to look in my locker room when I came in, including my coaches, and I'd see what the what their attitude was, who was talking, who was uh, having fun, who was smiling, who couldn't wait to get their box lunch, who couldn't wait to get out of the locker room. I used to look around the locker room to see who's really hurting, who's really hurting because we lost. Uh, those type of things I, I observe very closely. And I think Coach Guy is that type of guy. And I, and, I, and I appreciate the way he feels because he's a true Trojan, obviously, and, he, and, and winning is important. And it is to everyone who competes, and then you're part of it. So you shouldn't feel happy when you're not successful. You should be down, out, and ugly about it and not feel good about losing. So uh, uh, I think that uh, that – during this offseason, I think there will be some changes that were made in the defense. I think the defense is going to be a lot simpler. I think it's going to where, be at a point where you uh, use the athletic ability of, of the athletes. This is not the, the NFL. You've got to make it where these kids can perform the techniques and do what's necessary to stop a college football game. 
and you can't stop a college football game using professional techniques and coverages and so on because in the NFL, the passing game is the thing you have to stop, not to run. That's why people are trying to run so much because people are defensing the pass so much. And I think you've got to be able to stop both in the college football game. A balanced attack is what everybody talks about, so you've got to be in a defensive front and secondary coverage where you can do it both, especially against these teams today that are spreading the field and taking advantage of their great athletes at quarterback. And uh, and you, I think that this offseason, I'm sure the defensive staff spent a lot of times, at least if I was the head coach, I would have sent my defensive staff to many of these universities that run these type of offenses. And I would meet with them and I would sit down and say, what is it that hurts you the most? What is it? What is your reads? What What is it that, that really uh, – does bother you guys where you can't perform what you're doing. And obviously the number one thing is is when the other team has better players. Okay, that makes sense. And that's what Auburn had against Oregon last year where Oregon couldn't block their defensive tackles at Auburn. They just couldn't, and they forced into an outside game and a different type of game, yet it was a very close football game. But I still think the best football team in the country last year, I didn't mean to jump to this, was Stanford. At the end of the year, I feel Stanford was the best football team in the country. I really believe that. The way they beat Virginia Tech, how good they were during the year and so on and progressed. And yet USC came from you-know-what, one's play away from beating Stanford last year. So USC has the type of athletes who can play. you just got to put them in the right position. you got to have them understand what their assignments are. You've got to have them conditioned to be able to go against the fast pace You've got to be able to have them believe that they can stop this type of Oregon offense, especially when you know you're going into Oregon. You've got to be able to take away this curse that Oregon has started to now take and bring into the Pac-12, which means people are doubting whether they can beat Oregon. Oregon, this is the way SC was. SC was, oh my, I don't know if we can beat them. We've got to play USC this year. Right now, USC does not intimidate teams coming to the Coliseum. Why? Because teams have come to the Coliseum and have beaten USC. And every time you see that on a film when you're preparing to play USC, you say, if they can do it, we can do it. So right now, Oregon's got this little curse going up in Eugene where nobody can beat them there. So people have to go in there and start to defeat them and break this down, which is going to be a difficult thing to do when they have the great athletes and they execute what they do so well. So what you have to do is to be able to learn how to defend these type of teams and work on it year-round and go to other college campuses and so on and go down to Auburn and ask Auburn how they prepared for them, go to these other schools that run these type of offense and say, what do you do so that you improve your knowledge of what these techniques are and what these offenses are that are defeating you. So uh, that's what I would have done during the offseason. I'm sure that SC's coaches did that. I'm not sure if they did or they didn't. I can't talk for them, but that's what I would have had them do. Well, Coach, we appreciate it. Lots of great stuff, and uh, thanks to everyone out there that sent in your email questions. Uh, we really appreciate that. I know it's it's been a long uh, off season, but the podcasts have been rolling on. We've been getting all your questions every week, and we appreciate it. It's always fun. There's always stuff to talk about, Coach. Each and every week, we never uh, – we never run. We always run out of time before we run out of stuff to say. <laughs> no, it always does that. And I'm sorry I ramble on like that, guys. I really am. But you know, when we when we start to talk about something, I feel like I should tell you uh, the complete uh, package of what we start to talk about when you start to ask me a question. So, 
Hey, let's uh, again thank Southern California Ticket Service. Thank I thank all of you out there for joining us here weekly, and uh, have a great week. Thank you again, Coach, and everyone else. We're going to talk some football recruiting, USC football recruiting, of course, with Gerard Martinez coming up in the next segment. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We got Gerard Martinez, USCfootball.com, National Recruiting Analyst on the line. Gerard, what's going on? How are you doing, sir? Trying to stay out of the heat, starting to cool down a little bit, Southern California. But uh, last week was hot, man, and it was humid out here, too. Hot and humid out in the uh, the IE uh I know it's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's been nice at the beach, Gerard. You should uh, you should come out this way. Yeah, well, I didn't. So <laughs> <laughs> I was stuck out here doing doing the thing. So yeah, we uh, we had a lot of heat, but it was a cool Fourth of July. Awesome Fourth of July. One of the best Fourth of Julys uh, I had in a long time, and uh, you know, was excited to to get a little time off. And uh, you know, it's before we know it, blink of an eye, fall camp, and we'll be down there. And it'll be definitely hot and humid down there uh, at, at campus. You won't be able to escape to the beach volleyball line. No, I won't, unfortunately. I know that's good. our busy time of the year is coming up. Uh, August is probably one of the busiest months. Obviously, January is crazy with recruiting. But fall camp, two-a-day practices and all of that, it gets pretty nuts as well. But uh, there's still recruiting going on, obviously, and we have some recruiting questions for you. We have a couple of uh, voicemail questions as well the first one is about the uh, offensive line recruiting so here's that one uh jd from washington dc with an o-line recruiting question for gerard gerard uh uh given the targets that usc has o-line right now for this year who do you think is going to join um turek uh, assuming armstead uh will play d-line in this o-line class and how would you rate their, the likelihood of them ending up signing with the USC among the offensive tackle targets of Pete, Murphy, Banner, and Stanley, and the guard targets of Garnett, Simmons, and Westbrook. What would be your best guess right now if signing day were tomorrow? Thanks a lot. Good question there, John. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Push me on the spot. Who wants to bring some predictions in July? Um, it, it's, it's tough to give. I, I think right now, you know, the best feel, I, I think USC's got a pretty good shot with Pete right now. Um, you know, they're in it. It's, it's going to, that one's going to be tough because I, I got a feeling, you know, the, the lack of camps and the lack of uh, exposure that we've seen from Pete, you know, in the off season kind of tells us that he's going to lay low and he's going to be one of those guys that's going to keep it close to the vest to the very end. And you're really not going to get, uh, an idea of where he's leaning to um, until he starts to take official visits. But I think USC's got a good shot. They've been recruiting him for a long time. And I think, you know, in the back of your mind, if you're a USC fan, you can, 
you know, has some solace in that. You know, Joe Barry uh, was really, really good uh, down the stretch uh, towards signing day last year. I mean, without Joe Barry's guys, that class looks a lot different towards the end. And, uh, you know, he was able to close on those linebackers and Dawson and, and, and Sorrow and, and those guys, you know, really a lot of people didn't think USC had a real inside shot on. And so he was able to get those guys at the linebacker position. And he's also recruiting Arizona. And I think that, uh, you know, Cyrus Hobby, um, and he's really doing a good job with DJ Foster. I think some of that, you know, obviously spills over to Andres P2. So I think that's, you know, that's when USC is going to be in it for, you know, Murphy. I think USC is going to be in it for as well. Um, do they sign Murphy? I, I, right now, if signing day was tomorrow, I would say no. I think Stanford is the leader. I think Stanford's going to be the leader until, you know, they show that they're not going to be a power uh, consistently in the Pac-10, meaning they're not able to show this year like they showed last year and the year before that, uh, you know, they're a rising program. Um, and that's really, you know, it remains to be seen if they are or not. And that's you know, kind of the reason why I think, you know, he's not making any real big leaps and not making any big jumps as to, you know, what school he likes and who's his leader. I think if he felt confident that Stanford was going to be that school 100%, um, then he was probably already committed there. Uh, but at this point, I think he wants to go to a, vo- a big football program. Um, he wants the academics as well. He's a good student. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, he's, he's got to see what Stanford's going to do on the field and kind of see what the uh, the coaching staff's going to be like. And uh, without Jim Harbaugh, who is a really big focal point with that program, uh, a huge personality, I mean, equal to, to Pete Carroll in terms of the impact he made on that program, um, I mean, yeah, you got to kind of wait and see and see what uh, David Shaw and that new coaching staff is going to be able to do. So if it was today and he had to make a decision, I would, you know, going out on a limb, I would say it would probably still be Stanford. It wouldn't be USC. Uh, if it was, um, you know, Pete, I, I kind of think, you know, Florida State is kind of a sneaky school with him a little bit. Obviously, Nebraska with his brother Todd going there would be there. But I, I think USC might be the school that I would pick if it was tomorrow and, and was signing day and Andres Pete had to make a decision. Um, I think the one guy – I probably feel the most confident about uh, that's given me the most uh, positive vibe as far as USD is concerned uh, is Zach Banner. I think Zach Banner, outside of football, uh, there's a lot of things that really add up with him and USC in Los Angeles. He's a very gregarious uh, young man. He he really seems to be a guy that, that likes uh, a, a program that, that there's a lot going on just besides the football team. He has a lot of other interests. Um, and I think USC just personality-wise fits him well. Uh, he talks glowingly about the coaching staff, uh, loves uh, you know the football program and, and what they've done in terms of you know producing pro talent and the winning that's gone on. And he's you know a kid I think that a couple months ago we would have looked at and he would have been down on the list in terms of players. Uh, that uh, you would want in this class as offensive tackles, maybe a second-tier type guy. Uh, we wrote a long offensive line piece just about, you know, kind of the first team and maybe that second team. It's such a good year on the West Coast for offensive linemen. He kind of picked up to be maybe kind of straddling a little more in between that first tier and second tier, um, better than I thought he was, uh, you know, watching him in person at BGG and uh, just kind of, you know, seeing his potential. You know, he's still, I think, not a guy that you, you could have put up there with Kyle Murphy um, or Andres Pete in terms of, you know, hey, you're going to throw him out there on the field right now and see what he's going to do. He's going to be able to play to the level of those guys. 
I don't think so yet, but he may have a higher ceiling um, than, you know, at least Murphy being, you know, 6'8", 6'9", 315 pounds and moving the way he does. He's still really just kind of figuring out, I think, how good he can be. You know, he, I guess when you're that big, you know, and you talk about coordination, you talk about all these, all these, you know, tangibles that you have to kind of control as a, as a, as a young man. I mean, everybody remembers being a teenager and, you know, you kind of have to kind of grow into your body a little bit. Well, he's got six nine to grow into, and I get the feeling just watching him and watching his disposition, he's just kind of figuring out. Hey, man, I, you know, I'm six nine. I've got a reach here. I can punch guys and, and not even have to worry about backpedaling. You know, I, I don't have to play so much on my heels. He, he seems like he's really worried about you know that speed rush and those smaller guys getting underneath him. Um, but watching him at BGG. I think there's not a lot of that to worry about. I think his size is and his height, I guess, is not you know the issue that maybe you know you would think from uh, from face value. So uh, he he's a guy that I think USC has a really good shot at right now. Again, another one of Joe Barry's guys, um, and I think uh, you know it's going to kind of come down to the end. And, and you know with all these guys, I think there's going to be some time here, and there's going to take some official visits. And uh, certainly that's why you say you know if tomorrow was signing day doesn't really matter because it's not you know i mean that's kind of an arbitrary question that they're out there because so much can change between now and signing day but if i was put a gun to my head and uh you know who, who does usc sign I, I think you know zach banner would definitely be uh one of those guys that i i'd say yeah i think they think they got a great shot at so uh you know uh, the other guy that was mentioned ronnie stanley um you know he's 6'6 285 uh from vegas uh, that's where you start to go you know okay numbers wise you know who, how many guys can USC take in this class uh, can they squeeze a fifth guy in there are they only take four guys in here um, you know if it's only four I think Stanley's going to be one of those guys that kind of is on that line um, you know do they go after a guy who who, who may be a, a little better of a, of, a, of a versatile guy that could play guard a little more than Stanley I think Stanley and Banner are for sure tackles Pete has that versatility where I think he could he could probably play some guard if he if he needed to. He's offensive tackle. He's a left tackle for sure as well. Um, I, I like those three guys in, in a class though for USC because they need tackles more than they need guards. And Turk is a guy that can kind of bounce around a little bit. He could play any really any four or five positions. I mean he could play either of the guard spots. He could maybe get away with playing left tackle. Um, I think he'd probably be more of a right tackle if he was playing in the outside. Uh, but at Rising, or not Rising Stars, but uh, the lineman can't be actually played center. And evidently, we really, really well playing center. So, kind of seeing between the lines, you know, it looks like USC wants to maybe recruit a guy there. They could play that position. They could play some center. Um, if he's that guy, then you've got maybe room for another guard. But I, I wouldn't mind, you know, USC taking three off to tackle, seeing what they what they took last year uh, with with Andre Walker and Cyrus Hobby and, uh, and Cody Temple and, and and those players. Just majority of them, I think, are going to be interior players. So uh, another guy, you know, again, you can put a gun to my head. Tomorrow is, you know, who's signing? Who's signing with USC? Uh, I think they have a good shot at Stanley. Um, but again, it's not you know we got a long ways to go and and I think the thing that's important to point out especially about the offensive line is that you know let's say you know USC gets a commitment from a uh, Zach Banner or Andres P or, or one of these guys commits it does have kind of a domino effect on the rest of the offensive line recruits especially a guy that's going to look at and say hey you know I want to play left tackle too or I want to play right tackle and then USC has one of those guys committed um, I think the great thing about Max Turk, Max Turk is that he kind of floats a little bit there's, there's not really 
a position for him right now. So, you know, I don't think there's going to be any other players out there that go, oh, well, I don't want to go to USC because they've, they've already got Max Turek. Um, that's not necessarily true with Zach Banner and Andres Pete. Those guys specifically are pretty big names. And I think, you know, other recruits are very cognizant of where they're looking at and where they may sign. So um, that's going to be interesting. That's going to be, you know, the workaround that, that, that the coaching staff has to has to kind of approach and be very careful with and handle um, on the recruiting trail when it comes down, you know, getting in that, that, that January stretch where, you know, they may have a guy that's ready to commit. They may have a guy already committed, and you got to be able to work with that and, and get those guys wanting to play together on the same offensive line. They did a pretty good job of it last year. This year, though, uh, again, offensive line names much bigger, and there's a lot more talent out there. So, you know, it's, it's, it may be a little more difficult because I think this class, while it's probably not going to be as big as last year's class, it's going to be better. It's, it's, USC would have to strike out. <laughs> if it wasn't better this year uh, on, the, on the West Coast, they would really have to strike out on some guys because it's uh, a deep year for talent. And uh, I think uh, those are the guys right now that, that USC fans probably are, 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 are looking at the most and probably the best shot at. The, the, the next biggest name out there that I think is slipping with USC right now is Jordan Simmons. Um, spoke to him a couple of weeks ago just about USC and just about, uh, you know, the recruiting process. And he was actually candid. I mean, he really, really has kept it close to the vest. But I kind of, you know, disengaged him a little bit. We were talking in person. He's known me for a while. And I said, man, just listen, I know you don't really want to, you know, cause a lot of drama in your recruitment. But uh, give me something here. I mean, just tell me something that you haven't said before about some of these schools. And, and uh, Gabe Marks, who's a receiver from Venice High School, was at B2G, and he's a guy that loves to talk and is a funny guy. And he was kind of there chiming in, asking some questions, and we were kind of, you know, going back and forth there with, with Jordan. And he, and he opened up a little bit. And, and the one thing that he, that he said was, you know, USC's in there, but I'm not really that high on them right now. And I think the main issue is just the, the, the stability of the coaching staff, the program with sanctions. I think there's a lot of people in his ear about that. He seems to really like Cal. Uh, he likes Oregon a lot. Um, I think Cal's probably the school that he's talked the most about, um, glowingly. Um, and so, I mean, you know, he, he was pretty honest and said, you know, I'm just really not that high on USC right now. Uh, truth be told, UCLA is not really even in it for me right now. I mean, he hasn't eliminated any schools officially yet, but it's coming. And I think USC will definitely make it. In fact, he said, you know, USC is one of those schools that will make the initial cut. I think along with uh, Cal, Washington, Oregon, and Miami, I think were the other schools that were in there. Um, but, you know, USC's got some ground to make up for him, and uh, he was honest about that. So um, that's the one guy that I, you know, obviously having said that, I, I wouldn't pick uh, USC um, as, his, as his future school today. But, again, you know, I go back to saying, you know, Joe Barry closed the deal on a lot of recruits last year. Well, Ed Ergeron could do the same thing, and Ed Ergeron is recruiting Jordan Simmons. He's been recruiting Jordan Simmons, and that's the one thing, if you're an SC fan, that you kind of sit back and say, you know, it ain't over till it's over because uh, Ed Ergeron is relentless, and he's not going to give up on that one, and that uh, they'll continue to recruit him to the very, very end, regardless of whether he commits somewhere else, you know, in, in, in December or January. Uh, it'll be, you know, signing day until uh, he hears the last of USC. All right. Uh, let's go to Mike. He wants to know. He was wondering. Well, first of all, he said the mobile app for the iPhone now plays video, which is awesome. So we've uh, we've actually changed the way we're uploading video on USCFootball.com. We can let people know that. So we're using a service called uh, Vimeo, 
and it should be able to see. You should be able to see it on your mobile devices easier. Um, it's not a flash player. Um, we're, we're using it for now, and I, 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 the results have been good so far, and we're getting good feedback. So we'll probably continue uh, to keep doing that. So you can check it out and if you do want. If you do have a, an Android or a, an iPhone, and you want the USCFootball.com mobile app, you can just go to the App Store and look for USCFootball.com or USCFootball, and you should see the app there. And we have uh, links to it on. Uh, on our front page of uscfootball.com as well. But he wants and the to... quality, I'll, I'll chime in, just the quality of the video, I think it's, it's much better right now on the, on the Vimeo player that we're using. I, I think that's, you know, probably was the main motivation in, in jumping over to that. So not only can people on the iPhone and, and Android, uh, you know, have more consistent uh, access to the video, uh, they get better quality. So it's a win-win right now. Yeah, it looks, I mean, it's, it's easier for us to upload. It's faster for us to upload. Um and we're we're not changing the way we're editing the video, but we're putting it up there, and we're getting a higher quality from the same video that we we're shooting. So we you know we like it. Hopefully, you guys like it as well. We just put up some seven on seven video, and we'll have more. We have a Matt Barkley uh, video interview actually coming up, so you guys can check that out and try it on your uh, iPhone or your Android phone as well. Um, okay, so Mike's question was: He was wondering if Keyshawn Johnson has any recruiting influence on his players for USC, and he, he's one of the guys that runs the, uh, the 1925 All-Star team. I think that's what Mike is referring to there. Keyshawn Johnson, former Trojan wide receiver, does have an All-Star team, 1925, which is um, sort of part of this big man on campus camp that, that they've created as well. Um, and, and does he have influence over the recruits? I think he does have influence. I think that uh, – you know, the, the kids would be crazy not to ask him questions about the recruiting process, about schools, and, you know, Keyshawn's very candid. I mean, anybody who's met Keyshawn and, and talked to Keyshawn, Keyshawn speaks his mind. So I think that, you know, it's foolish to think that uh, there's not, you know, a lot of talk about schools, about recruiting, and, and about uh, college coaches, and, and just about the game, um, you know, in, in general going on uh, with, with his players and the 7-on-7 seven seven team. Now, for USC, I guess, you know, kind of a loaded question, does he have any influence for USC in a positive way or in a negative way? Uh, I, I don't think he's telling kids to go to USC. I pretty much could tell you that. Um, you know, he's had a lot of good players on that 1925 team in the last few years, and they're not all going to USC. Um, I think the best example of that is Jordan Payton. He's been a 1925 uh, All-Star for the last two years, and just decommitted from USC. Um, you know, DeAnthony Thomas also played with 1925 and decommitted uh, from USC and went to Oregon. Um, I, I, you know, off the top of my head, I think Victor Blackwell uh, was one of the guys that was a 1925 All-Star that did go to USC. Um, but it, it's it's definitely one of those things where I, I think Keyshawn, uh, he probably keeps it real. And, and, and you know, I'm sure he, he's, he, he loves USC and everything. But uh, I think the influence as far as, uh, you know, pointing guys in that direction, uh, just so few of those guys that ended up at USC that uh, it's certainly not, uh, uh, you know, the, the Will Lyles Railroad to, uh, to Eugene, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's basically, um, you know, I, I think that uh, he, he, he loves being involved with the kids. I think he likes being, you know, involved at that level with what's going on. Um, you know, with the process in college, but uh, certainly uh, I haven't gotten any kind of uh, vibe or, or feedback from recruits that, yeah, you know, Keyshawn told me about USC and told me I should go to USC. That that conversation's never happened, and 
And uh, so, uh, yeah, no, I mean, does he have influence over them? I, I think in, in a way that he, he's probably given them information um, about the recruiting process and about what really happens behind the scenes in college and what to expect. And, you know, I, I don't think you can say that that doesn't have influence over a kid, you know, when he asks, you know, what, what, what's it really like to, to be, uh, you know, behind the scenes at, at USC to play at USC. Um, you know, is Keyshawn say, oh, I can't talk about that? I kind of, I kind of don't think so. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I said, pretty candid, pretty honest guy. Uh, tell her like it is, and so I think he's going to say what he's going to say. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think he's actually telling kids, "Hey, uh, you should go to USC because it's the greatest school in the world." He's had so many other kids, so many other top prospects, and guys that USC has recruited uh, that have gone elsewhere. It just doesn't, it just doesn't, you know, stand to reason at this point. All right, I mean, and he's not supposed to help recruit for USC. I mean, like for NCAA rules, he's not supposed to be doing that anyway. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, I it's hear kind of a lot about, thing, you know, yeah. former players uh, going out and, and, you know, guys, uh, you know, you hear a lot of that from like the Miami recruits and the Florida State recruits and they talk to this guy who who went to, uh, you know, uh, Florida State and is in the pros and, and he came down to this camp and talked to him and, yeah, you know, you, you know, you really said good things about Florida State. You know, I don't, I don't think it's a legal thing. I don't, I, I, you know, I don't. You know, this is the whole thing with all these sanctions and everything that's gone on over the past couple of years. You have to, you have to kind of know the NCAA rulebook, and people ask me questions about rules and violations all the time now. Everybody wants to know, you know, what's going on and wants to be an enforcement staff member, um, you know, with, with, with these different camps and things that come on that, you know, fans feel like, oh, well, that's an advantage of this team or that team. You know, truth be told, I, I, the NC rulebook is so ridiculous and stupid and, and a mess that even these college coaches have a hard time really following it. And it's like, not my job <laughs> to get involved with every single rule. It's, you know, my job is to cover a recruiting process, so you have to have, you know, a, a general understanding of, of some of these rules. But, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that I, I just don't have it, you know, handy to go look through and go, Oh, is this is this a secondary violation or is this a first violation? It's like you know, my my job is to cover the process and get you know the 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 real feelings and comments of these kids and, and you know looking at a school trying to make a really difficult decision and and talk about them as football players and uh, the, the the whole rules process and the violations and the sanctions and everything. It, it's definitely it, it's taken some of the fun out of just recovering uh, the recruiting process because everybody, you know, wants to know the the, the rule of law and 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 how it affects this and how it affects that and. It's like, man, let's just get back to playing football. You know what I mean? Let's stop talking about, you know, all these, all these players and all these guys and all this cheating and, and everything going on. But you know what? That's the that's the world the NCAA has made, and everybody talks about, you know, you know how things can be can be changed and and you know what can be done for USC in the future. You know what can be done for college football in the future because I think we've seen. You know, a lot of uh, colleges getting into trouble, and honestly, not everybody gets into trouble like USC gets into trouble. It seems that the the punishment for USC has been a little different than uh, than all these other programs. But um, at the end of the day, there's a lot of stuff going on, and I think that's pretty much been been seen. And uh, you know, you gotta have to look at the the people that are supposed to be controlling everything, the people that are supposed to have a hand on everything, and uh, they're not doing a very good job right now. So. You know, I'll get off my soapbox, but uh, it kind of t- it kind of just it brings it all to that. You know, that's where we're. That's at the end of the day. That's what we're all talking about. They all, you know, everybody wants to know. You know, why is USC in this situation, and why you know why is and why are these other schools not in the same situation? And you know, I can't answer that question either. All right. Well, we got one last uh, recruiting question before you let you go. This has to do with uh, the scholarship situation. 
Hello, my name is Kevin from Lancaster. Um, been a long time listener to the podcast since the very first episode. Today, I just have a normal recruiting question. Um, from my knowledge, whether we have leftover scholarships from the previous year, um, we always have the option of trying to get kids to be mid enrollees, uh, basically come on campus in January, um, and they would just basically be used. Um, they would basically count against the numbers for that year. Um, well, basically, do you see um, the staff pushing some of the local kids in possibly next year's recruiting class to enroll early um, so that they have a chance of getting into the system and possibly getting onto the field faster? Um, and do you see this as a recruiting tactic um, to somewhat balance um, our restrictions, our scholarship restrictions? Um, Thank you. Um. All right, Gerard. That was it. I don't think he was really happy with that voicemail. I'm not uh, really happy with this question. I think he felt he he wanted to say something else, and he just was like, "Whatever, that's it." Yeah. <laughs> um, Kevin, it's okay, dude. I feel it's all right, Kevin. In Lancaster, thank you for thank you for calling in. I don't get a chance. This isn't get edited for me either. I gotta like pretty much go on it. You know, if I if I mess up or something, I get so much flack from Ryan. It's like I have to go back and rewind the tape now, and oh my god. So I have to pretty much go off the top of my head as well. So I feel for you, bro. Um, But you said you're a first time. You've been a long time podcast listener since the first podcast, and we've talked about this a lot in the podcast. Yes. It is a good transition, though, from my little opine about uh, the NCAA and how they've screwed everything up. Um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, USC's already, you know, they've already done that. I think last year's class was, you know, you know, a good example of the, 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 the staff, I mean, strategy-wise. This is where Lane Kiffin, and I've said this time and time again, is it's really, really the right man to be the head coach because he's a guy that's thinking on his toes. He is very strategic. He's a smart guy. And especially with recruiting, having been a recruiting coordinator and being a very good recruiting coordinator, he can manage recruiting very well. And a lot of people get nervous about this stuff. You know, a lot of people are nervous, you know, how many guys are they taking this year? You know, why are they taking a tight end in this class? But, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of, you, you kind of have to take a step back. And, and under normal circumstances, you might go, I don't, I don't know why. You know, it is, a, it is a question. But, you know, Lane Kiffin is one of those, one of those few, I think, head coaches that has enough grip on the recruiting process and recruiting as, as you know, strategically that you kind of go, Hey, you, you gotta, you gotta give it to the guy and, and, and see what happens a little bit. And last year, you know, they were able to get in all those bodies uh, with a lot of working with JC guys and getting guys in early. This year they've got three recruits that are already playing at least uh, to enroll early as January enrollees, and they will count towards that 2011 class. So you have Scott Starr, linebacker from Norco, uh, 6'3", 225, very good player. He's going to come in and play Sam linebacker. Uh, he's a four-star recruit. Uh, you've got Kelvin York, who's a JC transfer from Fullerton, who was originally from Dutchtown, uh, Louisiana. Dutchtown, uh, Louisiana, pretty, pretty big uh, on the map. Um, they got a safety there. It was a five-star um, whose uh, first name escape, escapes me. His last name is Collins, who actually just won the Spark Championship and uh, was uh, blowing it up at the is Nike opening. Landon, this past week. Landon Collins or something? Yeah, Landon Collins. There you go, Ryan. Good job. Um, I, you know what? You know what screwed me up? I was going to call him Lyle Collins, and I know he's not Lyle different. Collins. Yeah, but different. <laughs> <laughs> 
five-star Louisiana recruit last year, so I get those names. I, I lose Landon because I think Lyle, because Lyle was such a big guy. And uh, was an interesting kind of story there for USC, but I'll digress. Uh, but Landon Collins from Dutchtown, and, and he's not looking at USC. He doesn't have USC in his final anything right now. Uh, but, hey, you never know. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, uh, Kelvin York can convince him, hey, man, dude, I'm at USC. It's great out here. So you never know. And, and Edardron, you know, Louisiana, Cajun country, he, he works some magic sometimes. He's just one of those guys all of a sudden pops up in an official visit. So that, doesn't that look like Landon Collins? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay, cool. So, um, you know, with, 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 uh, with Kelvin York, he's coming in early um, January. So he's another guy that will count towards that 2011 class. And right now, Eric Armstead, uh, you know, 6'8", 285-pound defensive end, going to play strong side defensive end just like his brother Mondo. Um, he's, you know, going to come in uh, early. That's his plan right now. And I think that's one of those guys that, you know, the, the staff kind of talked to him. And he and Star, I think, were like, hey, you know what, we really would like, if it's possible and you can take a couple summer school classes to get in early, it would really help the class that much. And I think those guys have done so, which maybe they wouldn't normally do so. I, I think with Starr, he only had like an economics class. He wasn't necessarily talking about getting out early. But once he committed, all of a sudden it became, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I've only got an economics class to take and I should be good to go and, and get out in January. And I think that, you know, was motivation and kind of pushed uh, by the coaching staff a little bit. And so that's that, those are the kind of things that, you know, when you got John Baxter, I think is another big key figure here. you got Lane Kiffin, who I think is a great organizer and a great st- strategist when it comes to recruiting, um, you have to have someone there in the academic department who's very in tune with what's going on with recruiting that can, can help get these guys in, especially with the JUCO guys. And we saw that last year, and we're seeing, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of kind of coming and going right now with, with just the 2011 class and guys that, you know, are not on campus yet. And I won't get into that, but, uh, you know, we've talked about that on a previous podcast. You know, John Baxter is a guy that has that academic game plan, worked it at Fresno State. And in terms of recruiting, that's kind of his job. He's not really a regional recruiter. You know, uh, he's been – well, he was there in Fresno for 17 years or something, and you figure, well, he's recruiting Central California. He really doesn't. That's Clay Helton's uh, uh, region. So, you know, John Baxter – is just pretty much an overseer of all these kids, their transcripts, their grades, make sure, you know, he gets it to the administration, make sure that they're all on the same page with his high school counselors. And so USC actually has a much, they've got a little bigger margin of error, I think, because they have somebody who's working on that specifically, and they know what kids they can really get in. If kid, they don't think they can get a kid in, they can't get a kid in because, I mean, John Baxter is going to work it and make sure that, that you know, he has every opportunity uh, to, with, with summer school classes and whatever online stuff they can do to, to be able to try to get that kid in. And if he can't, then they can't. So I think, you know, with those three guys, yep, there's, there's a, a good chance they're going to get those guys in early. And I think, um, you know, they're open an opportunity bringing in anybody early because they can roll over their scholarships, and it does kind of balance out a little bit the scholarship hit, you know, so, you know, in a year, and it's really not about this year, it's about next year and the year after, if you're able to, you know, kind of put some some numbers behind those classes, and instead of bringing in 15, maybe you, you bring in 18, because you've got some guys that are enrolling early uh, from the previous class, uh, that, you know, is going to, it's, it's going to help a lot, because this is really when you're here, you know, 2013, 2014, where the scholarship sanctions really start to hit a little harder, because USC is already under that 75 limit, so, um, you know, to answer the question, definitely, I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a big, a big uh, 
change from Pete Carroll era. You know, Pete was pretty much, hey, hang out your senior year, enjoy high school. Didn't, you know, with quarterbacks, I think he liked to bring him in early just to kind of get him on campus, get him, you know, ready, you know, kind of prepared for the playbook, different position. But for most of the kids, that really was never a push um, to get them in early. But like I said again, Pete didn't have a guy on his staff that was specifically working on this and, and, and working with these kids and being in you know, constant communication with them um, just about their grades and about their transcripts because that's a whole other thing. I mean, that's a, it's, it's really complicated. And, and to make sure that you know, you've got classes that transfer and you make sure that you were you know, taking the right electives. And, um, and John Baxter makes it very clear. And uh, you know, hopefully you know, with the 2011 class, he already got one guy in that uh, was really you know, kind of nervous, and that was Antoine Woods. Um, you know, he, Antoine Woods says he's good to go, uh, didn't have to take any more summer school. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that really was not in good shape, uh, last year at this time, you know, he had a lot of work to make up, but, uh, he did, you know, he put the work in and I think a lot of it has to go, you know, credit has to go to John Baxter too, with, with helping him organize and making sure that he was taking the right classes. You can take a million classes, but you got to make sure you're taking the right classes, and, and that's what uh, is going to get a lot of these kids in. So there's, you know, three uh, now we're maybe four guys that we're not sure, you know, if they're if they're on campus or not. Uh, but we know for three uh, defensive linemen for sure, J.R. Tavai, Greg Townsend, and um, uh, Steve Dillon, Dillon yeah. who have yet to get on campus. And um, so we'll see. You know, I mean, the, Dillon's the one guy that didn't sign his scholarship uh, or his letter of intent uh, immediately. He wasn't even sent a letter of intent on signing day. They kind of waited. They wanted to see how he would do his spring semester and, and kind of how he was coming along with his coursework and his core classes, which is, you know, kind of usually the thing that gets the kids. Not only test scores with USC kids, it tends to be the core classes. They screw up freshman year, sophomore year, and then they've got so much work to make up. Some of the Nuku, good example. And so, uh, you know, we're going to see if uh, – you know, he he would probably be the guy that would be the the the, the longest shot of them, uh, of the group. You know, I know Tavai's got a lot of work to do too, but uh, we'll see. I mean, if if John, if, I tell you what, if they get everybody in for the 2011 class, and at this point, I don't even know if they want to get everybody in because, like you said, they could spread out these scholarships a little more if they didn't bring in actually 30. Um, but if they can bring everybody in this year. Uh, you know, recruiter of the year. We, we, I know we name a recruiter of the year for rivals all the time, and it's it's always about you know the guys who bring the guys into the program, and you know Ed Ergerons and and you know some of these great assistant coaches throughout the, the country that that are recruiting coordinators that, that do such a good job. And um, I would have to say that you know Ed Ergeron obviously is, is tremendous year job last year bringing these kids in as a, as a recruiting coordinator, working his magic as he's done in years past at USC, Tennessee, Ole Miss. But the guy that maybe got most of these kids in uh, would be John Baxter, and I think you would have to give a lot of credit to John Baxter if they're able to get everybody that they uh, signed uh, into this class. So, you know, we'll see. But uh, the earlier the better, definitely, early enrollees. That's going to that's gonna be something that's going to play big uh, for the next uh, three, four years for USC. Cool. All right, Gerard, well, we really appreciate you uh, coming on the show and sharing all your insights with us, and we'll uh, talk to you and down the road here more about USC recruiting. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Anytime, GM. It's always good talking recruiting with you, and hopefully everyone out there in podcast land enjoyed that, and I hope you're enjoying the Peristyle Podcast. If you have a friend that's a USC fan, make sure you tell them about the Peristyle Podcast. We've been doing this for over three years now. We really enjoy it, and uh, now we're getting to the season. So trying to keep those uh, Trojan fires burning through the offseason, and then it's going to really heat up uh, during fall camp and obviously the USC football season. So thanks to Gerard. Thanks to 
Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Thank you all out there for, for listening to the Peristyle Podcast, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.